How are we doing this morning? Good. Yes, I love it. I love the energy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, yes. <laughs> How are we doing this morning? Hey, there it is. There it is. Sorry, you got the student minister up here. We're going we're gonna to get a little wild. Just kidding. We're not. Uh, if you guys want to go on ahead and turn into your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, that's where we'll be camping out today. But uh, man, it, it is just such a, a great morning to be gathered together as we, as we spend some time wrapping up uh, this intergenerational series. I, I just want to say how encouraging it is to be a part of a church that, that really values intergenerational ministry and, and really understands that that is central to the Bible and central to our mission as a church. And, and over the past five weeks, we've talked about how we can serve better together, how we can parent better together, how we can be uh, more unified as a church better together. And, and as we dive into our text this morning, I want to look at some practical ways that we can be a church that's focused on being better together. As you're still finding your place in your Bibles, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Alec Ammons. I am the student minister here uh, at Church on Bayshore. Thank you for the one clap. I heard it. I, I hear you. Um, I, I just can't say how blessed me and my wife Ashley are just to, to be a part of this church, uh, to be a part of, of the student ministry, to be able to, to lead our students and, and, and a lot of that comes from you. We've got a lot of parents in this room, grandparents in this room, and so we want to thank you as well for having great students. Uh, and, and we are just so blessed uh, to be here. Pray with me as we get started this morning. Father God, uh, just so thankful, Lord. Uh, so thankful that you, above all else, are good. God, we we recognize that you have called us to be a church that is intergenerational, God, we recognize that, that we have so many generations present here in this building this morning, Father. And God, as we kind of wrap up our time in this focus, God, I, I just pray that we would have even more understanding, God, have, have clear vision, God, of how each and every one of us can pursue after intergenerational relationships. Father, we just ask that you bless our time this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As I started to, to kind of think and prepare for, for this morning, I, I got uh, a, little, a little excited because, you know, we've got, Ashley and I are part of this life group, and, and this life group is 20s and 30s, and we really kind of live in the in-between, right? We're not, we're not like old yet, uh, but we're not like young. I mean, we're young, but we're not like young, young, so we... We, we get to live in this, this in-between, and, and I started to think about my own uh, intergenerational discipleship of, of my great-grandparents and my, and my parents, but in our life group, we're, we're often talking about, you know, you know, we can't really be discipling our kids. We don't, we don't have kids, so uh, we also aren't under the, like, constant discipleship of our parents uh, because we're all out and on our own, and so we're, we're in this unique Place, and we, we often talk about how we're in this unique place where we desperately need mentorship from others who have walked longer than we have, but we also have so much time and energy and experience to give to the next generation. And, and, and there's this tension of, you know, we want to be old and wise because we're young and silly. And I, I think 
this, this idea of being in the middle made me really start to address what, what my story is. You know, my, my great-grandfather, uh, Pete, fought in World War II and, and, and lost his leg uh, in the Pacific. And, and I, I've heard so many stories about how you know, he, he was this incredible fighter and, and passionate about serving his country. Uh, and when he came home, he was even more passionate about sharing who Jesus was to, to my mom. And, and I think about my, my dad's dad, who is just this incredible example of, of Christ's love and, and adoption into, into, our, into, into his family. I think about my parents and, and their uh, allowing me when I was in high school to really start to flesh out what my faith looked like and prioritize faith over, over sports. And I think to, to the children that Ashley and I hopefully will one day have and, and our goal of, of seeing them know Christ, but our true goal as, as a family is that our grandchildren would know Christ. Because we understand that there is a real need for generation after generation to know the gospel, to know Jesus. And so this is not something that's isolated. We've, we've, you've heard it for five weeks. This isn't an isolated thing to my and Ashley's family. This isn't an isolated thing to your family. This is a true thing that, that is consistent through scripture that, that we have to be intergenerationally minded. We're reading today in 2 Timothy, and I wanted to give you some perspective behind why Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Paul is in prison at the time, and he's got some people that have just kind of abandoned him. He's got several people who are out on, on assignments that he sent them on to, to go and share the gospel. Paul is kind of dealing with the idea that soon he's probably going to die. He, he's, he's nearing the end of his life. Execution is coming, and... and this is Paul's final formal word, written final formal word to Timothy. And he's urging Timothy to stand firm and, and he asks him to, to come for, for one final visit. And I mean, he's, I would ask for one final visit too because this is a very personal letter. This letter is extremely interpersonal. There's a lot of heart and character in this letter. It's a letter to a, a close friend to a coworker, to a disciple of his. And Paul's encouraging in this letter, Timothy, just to continue in faithfulness. And he offers his own life as an example for Timothy to follow behind. At the beginning of this text, he calls Timothy his, his son or his child. And it just shows the, the dynamic of the relationship that Paul is viewing this relationship as a father-son and, and Paul is teaching and instructing him and, and trying to get his last formal words out to, to Timothy. And Paul wrote this letter because Paul understood something that's central for, for him to understand and for us to understand this morning. It's gonna set up everything we're gonna talk about. See, Paul understood that to continue the work of God, he had to have a relationship that was intentional, intergenerational, and discipleship-focused. Paul understood that he had to have a relationship that was intentional, intergenerational, and discipleship-focused. Let's dive into our text this morning, and, and then we'll just spend some time breaking it down as we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses one 
through seven say this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is, this is such a, a, a crucial piece of, piece of text in this broader level or letter uh, of 2 Timothy, and it really and truly paints a, a beautiful picture of discipleship. It paints a beautiful picture of what discipleship should look like. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna go verse by verse, and we're gonna talk about how each thing points to a different layer of discipleship and specifically intergenerational discipleship. Verses one and two Paul lays out for us and for Timothy the process of discipleship. Verse one and two, he's starting to talk through with Timothy the process of discipleship. The first thing that Paul makes very clear from the beginning, and if you read any of Paul's letters, it's, it's constantly in there, is that discipleship, it starts with God. The process of discipleship, it starts with God. I had the privilege of, of going uh, to the Dominican Republic with some students this summer and, and their parents, and it was an incredible trip, and, and we got to serve a lot, and we were working with, with Haitian refugees, and, and there was this common theme through the week, and, and it, it rang true for our parents, it rang true for our students, it rang true for our uh, translators, it just kind of kind of blanketed over the entire trip. And it was the fact that despite we were working with people who were different culturally than us, different socioeconomic status than us, different uh, background, different raising, everything was different, different language, there was a central need. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. That's the reality is that we need Jesus. Christ. Good discipleship starts with that realization. If we want to be good disciplers, we have to start with God. I think here in Niceville and, and elsewhere that I've, that I've had the privilege of living, it's so easy for us to, to be very capable at what we do. We're very capable people. And we can, we can follow steps to get a promotion, we, we kind of know the order to get to, to, to get the things that we want. You know, if we do these things, we can, we can get that job or, or, or we'll get, uh, we'll make the, the sports team. Sorry, hold on, that was for my notes for student ministry, sorry. Uh, we, we, but students in the room, you, you can follow steps. You know, if I practice hard, if I do this enough, you can make the sports team. And, and, and we have all the answers, we know what boxes to check. And, and we come to discipleship with this idea that if we just, follow these process, if we follow this process, somebody will be discipled. And there are processes, we're literally talking about the process of discipleship, and there are processes, but if we forget that discipleship starts with God, 
we're missing the point. The root of discipleship is the need for Jesus and his blood poured out on the cross. Discipleship does not happen if we are actively seeking Christ. Verse two continues this thought. And the first part of verse two, it says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. If it starts with God, if discipleship starts with God, it continues by empowering the faithful. If it starts with God, it continues by empowering the faithful. Paul makes it clear that the call for Timothy, what Paul is sending Timothy to do, what he's encouraging him to do, is to call faithful men. He's calling him to entrust faithful men with the message of Christ. Discipleship is not passive. It's active. There's uh, the Redwoods in, in California have this very interesting growth pattern and it sort of speaks to, to our need to empower the faithful but also to grow together as a, as a church intergenerationally. They, there's a grandmother tree that grows first. And then that tree around it has baby trees. And then those trees have baby trees. And you get these like circles of trees. I don't think I need to educate you on how trees work. But what's interesting about them is below the surface, all of the root systems are tied together. They grow interweaving their roots with one another. And it's so when the rain comes, when the winds blow, when there's earthquakes, when, when adversity comes, the oldest tree is holding up the youngest tree and the youngest tree is holding up the oldest tree. They have a firm foundation because they are woven together. We have to hold each other up generation to generation. So that this is something that will span for generations and generations. To continue the work, we need to be intergenerational. And we have to be empowering not only those around us, those in our, our circles, we also need to be empowering the next generation to know who Jesus is. But if it continues by empowering the faithful, verse, the, the second part of verse two gives us a clear picture it continues by empowering the faithful, it is about equipping to teach. Second part of verse two simply says this, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It doesn't just stop with evangelism. It doesn't just stop by in empowering people to believe in Christ. It, it continues and it's all about equipping those who believe in Christ to be able to teach others to believe in Christ. A quote from the master plan of evangelism says this, the criteria upon which any church should measure its success is not how many new names are added to the role, nor how much the budget is being increased, but rather how many Christians are actively winning souls and training them to win the multitudes. Training being a key part of a church's success, a church's longevity is about training those around us to be able to teach others 
about Jesus. Christ has given us a clear call to make disciples. And making disciples requires us to be actively training generations to make disciples so that those generations can make disciples. This is how the church has worked for generations and generations. And that doesn't mean that it's extremely easy, and we'll talk more about that later, but this passage doesn't just leave us with a process without giving us some practical knowledge. Paul kind of uses, in in a very strange way, three back-to-back examples on what good discipleship looks like. Verses three through six talks all about what good discipleship looks like. Verses three and four say this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Good discipleship looks like following Christ while we're on mission. It's about following Christ while we're on mission. If we want to see this take place, see intergenerational discipleship take place in a meaningful way here at Church on Bay Shore, we have to prioritize our own walk with Jesus. Discipleship is not easy, especially intergenerational discipleship is not easy. It takes work, it takes intentionality, it takes time. And while we're doing it, it's a clear call from God that we have to understand that the enemy wants us. The enemy wants us to disobey a very clear call from God. So we need to be bound to his word. We need to be engaged in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. I remember the first job that I worked at a church. Uh, Loved the job. We we were reading this book uh, all about burnout in ministry. They were really trying to set us up for success, uh, longevity in ministry, because we we were reading this book very early on about here's what, Burnout can look like, you know, if you're not actively, you know, pursuing after God and, and here, here's, here's kind of what the, that, that looks like. Uh, but while we were reading this book, I was working six days a week, had Saturdays off, and, and even then some Saturdays were, were not off off. I was working 50 plus hours a week and I was having four to six one-on-ones with middle school students each and every day. And I started just to get exhausted. I started to get so tired of, of meeting. I started to just kind of be like, what am, what am I doing? Like, I love that the Lord's put me here and I, I love that I get to do this, but like, is this it? Like, am I always gonna be this tired? I was experiencing the effects of burnout. The reality is that I was not being poured into as much as I was pouring out. Following Christ while we're on mission is is so important. I'm I'm gonna point us to our discipleship essentials. There's five of them. It's worship, grow, serve, give, and reach. And each are an important part of our walk with Christ, but three are extremely important for our personal walk with Christ. Worshiping, we're doing it. We got it, did one, let's go. 
We're, just, we're, we're doing the discipleship essentials. I love it. We're, we're worshiping corporately, and it's such an important part of what we do as a church is to spend time worshiping corporately and personally. We also need to be growing, right? We, we wanna see that there is growth. We have life groups as, as, a, as a pathway to do that where we can, we can dig in with people around us and, and grow together. An important part of, of personal worship is giving, giving back what the Lord has already given us. The other two are, are serving and reaching, and we've got a balance here. There, there's more about our personal, they're all important to our personal walk with Christ, but there's more about our personal growth, and then there's some about growing others. Both are important, but it's much harder to serve others and be on mission if we are not growing personally. The other part of following Christ while we're on mission is the on mission part. And verse five gives us a clear picture of of what that looks like. It says this, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If we're gonna be following Christ while we're on mission, good discipleship looks like there is an end goal and there are rules. There's an end goal and there are rules. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Such an important piece of scripture because Christ is giving a direct call to the disciples and also to us. There's a Greek word, and and I'm not going to try and pronounce it. I tried to pronounce it this morning. It was it was it was a train wreck. So we're just going to we're not going to pronounce it. But it's in in our translation, it's the make disciples portion. It's Greek for making disciples. And this word has nuances. The translation, uh, our translation is actually a little bit longer because it, it talks about teaching and baptizing and it's trying to encapsulate all that this word has to offer. This word in all of its nuance really means disciples must be replicable. They must be able to make other disciples. This, there's, there's a continuation portion of this word. That is the end goal. That is the race won. To see every nation know Jesus. And if we're going to do that, and if we're gonna see even just our city do that, we really have to focus on the fact that a crucial part of running the race is doing it according to the rules. As we make disciples, we have to understand that we need to be consistent followers of Christ and his example. We talk about this in student ministry a lot, and the beauty of this is whether it's a sixth grade guy or girl or a senior adult guy or girl, this truth is the same, that we as Christians are really good at just putting on masks. We've got our, our church mask where we, you know, we, we put on the, the, the nicer clothes or whatever, and we, you know, we, we slap on our church mask, and, and we're fine at church, or, or we have our our work mask where we may act a little bit differently, like we're, we're the, you know, Christian zero version and, and we, we, have, we have that little bit of Christ, but it's not all Christ and, and we have 
our, our home mask where, where maybe we're a, a little bit different. We have our masks that we wear around our friends. And, and the reality is, is that if we're going to make disciples, if we're gonna see the end goal take place, we've got to be examples for those around us, pursuing after the example of Christ. And one of the, one of the beauties of this, and it goes back to the first thing we talked about, is we still need the blood of Jesus. We can strip away all our masks and we still need the blood of Jesus. That's so crucial to running the race that there's an end goal and there are rules. The last uh, process or the last piece of what good discipleship looks like according to, to Paul in this text comes from verse six. It says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Good discipleship, it takes work. It takes diligent work. It's intentional. It's about being a good and faithful servant. Through scripture, we see people who hear the call of God. I think about Gideon who is hiding in a, in a, wine press and, and, and he hears the call of God and they're fearful, but, but they answer because the Holy Spirit is gonna work through them, God's gonna work through them and, and their, their diligence and, and their willingness to, to do what God has called them to do, they accomplish the great work of Christ. Paul in this text is sitting in a jail cell just kind of waiting for the day that he's going to die. And Paul's not done. Of everybody in the Bible, Paul probably had one of the biggest reasons to be like, all right, I have done enough. I'm good. I'm gonna sit back. I'm just gonna enjoy my time in prison. I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, just pray a bunch. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna worry about all these people. Paul was not done. He's spending time imploring this young man to go and do the work of God, to prioritize people and generations knowing their savior, to prioritize equipping people to teach the gospel. It takes diligence. Good discipleship isn't easy. It takes diligence. It takes work. Church family, we are an intergenerational church. We are. You can go to kids ministry and find out. We're an intergenerational church. We need to be woven together. We need each generation to be, to be bound together, growing together, diligently working towards the goal of Christ. And here's, here's the reality of this whole intergenerational thing. It is not easy. It's not easy. There's a reason that for, for generations, churches have, have developed silos. There, there's a reason that, that for so long, intergenerational ministry is, has just not been a huge part of churches' visions and, and missions. And it's because it's hard. And it's hard because we lack a key component, and that's understanding. Verse seven, Paul says this, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And I really think I'm gonna start adding that to all of my emails and texts because, you know, just like, hey, think over what I said, Lord's gonna give you understanding. It may not make a whole lot of sense, but I love that Paul does that. But, but he's so right because 
ultimately God will give us the understanding. God will give us understanding. We, we, we need God to give us understanding. That's the only way that we can do the work that he's called us to do. The call from God is not just to go and create fun programs or, or go and, and to do things this way or that way or, or go and sing particular songs or, or go and do things, you know, the old traditional way or, or maybe go and do things the new way because a lot of times the new stuff doesn't make sense either. Like it, in, in reality, God's call is to go and make disciples, It can't be more clear than that, that the priority has to be making disciples. In my seven or eight years of doing student ministry and kind of living in this in-between where I'm kind of over here in youth world a lot, but I'm also like sometimes I'm not over here in youth world because I'm not in high school and I, like living in this in-between there, there are two lies that I think are really holding us back from, from really understanding what it means to be intergenerational. I think it, it holds a lot of churches back from, from diving into this intergenerational thing that's so clearly laid out throughout scripture. The first is for those who are of the younger generation. And if you're in the older generation, you're in this room or you're watching online this morning, I just, I want, I want to encourage you, don't tune me out because there's perspective here and there's, there's understanding that we can gain from this. But, but the idea is that the younger generation often thinks that someone can be too old to be relevant. Too old to be relevant. And, and, and I'm just, it, it blows me away. And I've heard that at churches I've, I've served at previously. And, and it's just something that, that often crops up in, in youth culture. And the idea is that Somebody can be too old to be relevant. And this blows my mind because if we feel this way about our, our senior adults or, or even our older generation like Michael or James or, or any of those people, I, I just, <laughs> I, this, if we feel that way, then I wonder how we view the Bible. If, if we really believe that something or someone can be too old to be relevant, how, how do we view the Bible? Last time I, I checked as I'm walking through the hallways, nobody's as old as the Bible. The Bible is still so relevant and living and active in our lives. And I think because we have this idea that things can just be too old to be relevant anymore, we, we start to focus, uh, and, and I, we see this as, as, as something that happens in, in churches all over, all over the country and all over the world, that, that we start to focus more on relatability and less on true relevancy. We start to focus more on the things that are just relatable, the things that will get people engaged, the things that, that, that are cool and fun and, and all of that, and, and we start to focus on true relevancy. We lose sight of the relevancy of the gospel in hopes that we can be relatable. Here's the thing. Our older generation has run the race longer. If you're one of the young people in the room, please hear this. They've run the race longer and they are so full of wisdom. Just talk to them. 
Young people, we have to be seeking out these relationships. We have to be diligent in understanding that we need discipleship so that way we can grow and then make disciples. And, and we have to be pursuing after those that are older than us. If you, if you look at our, our graph thing, the, the illustration of the house, all the directions go in both directions. Young people, we need to be stepping into those places where we can, we can talk to the older generation, we need to be engaged with them. We need to be seeking after their wisdom of running the race well. Now, the second idea, it comes from our older generation. And if you're someone in the younger generation right now, they didn't tune your side out, so you gotta listen too. And this is the idea that somebody can be too young to be spiritual or impactful or deep spiritually deep. And I'm just gonna ask if we feel this way as, or if we feel this way about the next generation, when will they be ready? When, when, is, the, when is the benchmark that they're ready to, to handle the stuff? When they're ready to really dive in and, and do this Christian thing the way they ought to? Is it after, you know, they, they learn pre-calculus? Is it after they learn how to combine numbers and letters and algebra? That blows my mind. Is it, is it after they, they've studied all of the, the literature? Is it, is it after they, they've gotten into college? Or, or is it after the world has already gotten to them and molded them and shaped them and then we need to draw them back to the church? Here's the truth, church. If we wanna be an intergenerational church, we we need to focus less on entertaining and less on, on making things fun. And there's time and there's place for that. But the reality is, is that our kids ministry and our student ministry and our college ministry, they can handle Christianity. They are ready to go deep. They are ready to dive deep. They are, they are ready. And yes, they do weird dances on the internet and they wear silly clothes, and they say funny words, and they dress differently sometimes, and, and, and I get it because I live in that world, and I'm like, ha, huh, that's kind of funny, I guess, and, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that's actually really funny, and, and I, understanding is hard in both directions, from young to old, from old to young, but our students and our kids are living in the fastest-paced world that's ever-changing. They can handle the gospel. And they want to bring it to their schools. They want to bring it to their friend groups because they have experienced the life change and the joy that comes through Christ Jesus. I'm gonna end with, with a story. I talked about some of my, my uh, grandparents or my great-grandparents. I left out one, uh, my papa, Cecil. Uh, and, and I'll say this if you're a grandparent in the room, I was his favorite. We know you have favorites. You can just you can just own up to it. We know you have favorites. But 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 he loved he loved peppermint ice cream. And if you've never had peppermint ice cream, Christmas time, ooh, it's the best thing in the world. I tell you what, but but he was very upset if Publix ever run out of peppermint ice cream. And what he would do is he would stand in the middle of the ice cream aisle and he would just go, "Help!" Help! Help! 
And people would come running to help. Like, they, they would come sprinting, like, somebody's falling down, what's up? And he'd just go, hey, y'all are out of peppermint ice cream, what's the deal? And, and it got to the point that they were like, hey, we'll let you know when the truck comes in. They would give him a call and be like, all right, it's here, come on, we'll save you a carton. And I just, parents in the room, grandparents in the room, older generation in the room, we have a generation of young people who are standing and saying, help, I'm ready. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how. I I don't have all the answers, but help. Help me understand the incredible magnitude of Christ's death on the cross. Help me understand the intricacies of God's word. Help me understand the hard questions that I wrestle with or that the world is throwing out me about this, this thing that I know to be true. We have to be a church that realizes that we are better together. And in our younger generation, we have generations who are ready to help, who are ready to jump. And they may not feel ready, but they're ready. They're ready to jump in and to show you where they've messed up. They're ready to, to show you how you can walk better than they have. They're ready to show you the magnitude and glory of Christ. Jesus, we have to realize that we are better together, that it takes the wisdom of our old generation and the passion of our young generation to see the work of God complete. The church is multi-generational. This church is multi-generational. Heaven is going to be a diverse place. And this is not just some emphasis that we're doing for this one-time thing so that way we can get some old people and some young people in a photo op together. This is the call from God, from Genesis to Revelation, to be a church that is built better together. This is illustrated in the depth of his book. At the bottom of, of your note sheet, or it'll be on the screen, you can just scribble it down, you'll see this graph Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your name in the middle of the graph, that that middle circle. And if you're of the older generation, write in some names. It may even just be one. Maybe you need to add some. Of younger people that you interact with or that you want to interact with and help show them the goodness of Christ. You can just write those names in. If you're the younger generation, write your name in the middle and write out some older people's names who you would love to just learn more from and sit under their wisdom. Church family, this is the call from Christ. It's to be intergenerational, woven together, holding one another up, teaching each other The question is, are we going to obey the call? Are we going to move in those directions? It's my prayer that we will because I believe we will see incredible fruit flow from those relationships. I'm gonna pray for us as we close. Father God, Lord, just so thankful for the reality that your gospel cuts through still. God, I I just lift up this church family. God, I lift up churches meeting elsewhere, God, that we would really and truly understand that we have a deep need for Jesus. God, I pray for this church that and and these people sitting in this room, God, that we we would actually weave together 
God, that we would be intergenerational, generations teaching generations. God, I pray that we realize that, that the next generation is ready and they're waiting and we would answer the call for help. God, I, I pray that we would be excited. God, that we would serve you in the way that you have commanded us. Father, as we leave today, Lord, let that just sit with us, Father, that we are called to be intergenerational better together. We pray these things in your precious son's name.